First Thessalonians chapter 4 is going to be uh, the focus of our passage tonight, the focus of our attention. First Thessalonians 4. We saw last week that uh, as Christians we were made to please God. That uh, th- there is a myth out there, even among Christians, that we cannot please God. We don't have the ability to please God. But, but actually the Scriptures teach us that in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And and uh, Paul calls believers here at the beginning of this chapter to please God. I, I want to go back through the passage to show you the structure of the passage, which I did last week. And um, we spent most of our time just looking at the structure and then the last part, and that is that we are to live holy lives by <clears throat> excuse me, living in brotherly love. And this week we're going to look at the section that we skipped. So let me <clears throat> let me read the text for us, first verses one through twelve, and then I'll show you the structure of the passage, and then we'll look at our uh, our section tonight. First Thessalonians four one. This is the word of God. Finally, then, brethren, we re- we request and exhort you <clears throat> in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you before, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Well, there's a responsibility that we all have as believers, and that's in verses 1 and 2. And that responsibility is shown for us with the words that precede it are, you ought to. You ought to. Well, what ought we to do, Paul? And the answer is we ought to walk and please God. And and he specifically at the end of verse 1 is compelling them to excel still more in doing this. That while you are walking and pleasing God, I want you to do it even more. Uh, Paul had received a good report from Timothy and Silas who had come back from Thessalonica over to Athens and and had told him about it. Uh, Eventually made it to Corinth there with him. And uh, that's where Paul's writing from, the city of Corinth. So we have a responsibility to please God. Well, how do we do that, Paul? How do we please God? And the answer is by doing God's will. By doing God's will. And sometimes we make God's will out to be something very complex because it's something hidden, secret. And there is a sense in which God's will is that. There, there is a will of God that's talked about that, like, like that in the Scripture. It's called the decreed will of God, the the will that He has decreed before the foundation of the world of what actually will happen. We don't know all those things, just like we didn't know the uh, the people 
during the time of Esther didn't know how that was going to turn out until it did. But there is a, a desired will of God, which we do know. And that is what He's written for us in, in His Word. And the reason I know that is because of verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So Paul, how do we please God? Verses 1 and 2. You, you, uh, you do the will of God. And, and the will of God is very simply your sanctification, your pursuit of holiness. Every believer's, uh, every, every person should know what the will of God is. That is that God is seeking to make you more holy. Are you being complicit with that? Are you, uh, are you doing that? Well, there's two ways that Paul shows us that we can do God's will in this passage. One is moral purity, verses 3 through 8. Moral purity. Abstain from sexual immorality. And he's going to explain that throughout those verses. And then two is we do God's will. We live holy lives. We pursue sanctification by pursuing brotherly love, verses 9 through 12. That's where we spent most of our time last week. That they were to um, mind their own business, live a quiet life, and work hard so that they would not depend on other people. This is God's will for every single believer. That they live in love with one another. Well, since we skipped over that middle section, I want to take some time and and, um, and work through that together. And so that's going to be the focus of our study tonight. Believers are called to please God by living in holiness with regard to moral purity. That's what we're going to see tonight. Believers are called to please God by living in holiness with regard to moral purity. First, we see our responsibility for moral purity in verses 3 through 6. Our responsibility for moral purity. And then we're going to see uh, the reasons for that purity in verses, the second part of verse 6 through verse 8. So, responsibility of moral purity. We have three appeals here in verses 3 through 6 by Paul that function as commands. And they all modify the phrase, that uh, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Then he says, notice, that is, that you, and then he gets the first one, verse 4, and then number two, that each of you, that's the second one, and then number and then verse six, and that no man, and so on. Okay, we're going to look at each one of those in turn. First, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's very simple. Abstain from sexual immorality. Dr. Compton defines sexual immorality as unlawful sexual intercourse. Okay, a sexual relationship is not wrong as long as it's lawful, right? As long as it's within the context. I'm not talking about our government, whether they see it as lawful or not. I'm talking about God's law, whether God sees it as right. So that means any sexual activity outside of marriage, any sexual activity that is not san- sanctioned by God, which includes things like fornication and adultery, homosexuality, uh, prostitution, bestiality, anything outside of the marriage covenant that has to do with sexual relationship or sexual activity is against God's will. So, so, so no one can say, you know, I want to please God in doing this. Because there is no pleasing God when that kind of activity is taking place outside of the marriage relationship. No matter how much pleasure 
that a person can gain from any of those sexual acts, when they are done, they are done in defiance against God. That is not God's will. Now, why would Paul bring this up? Did he find out about some immorality going on in Thessalonica? Possibly. But look at chapter 1, verse 3. I don't think so. Remember in Corinth, he did find out about sexual immorality going there and he addressed it face on. I mean, very forthrightly. But look what he says here in chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God, verse 2. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. He's thankful for their progress in spiritual things. Now, probably the, the means or the reason for him writing this was that they lived in a very immoral society. One that was full of false worship and uh, these false deities would often have uh, temple prostitutes right there. As part of your worship to these false gods, you would participate in some lewd act or behavior. Um, and so I think what Paul's doing is he's doing what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. I want you to recognize that you need to walk and please God. But notice what he says in those parentheses. Just as you actually do walk. You're already doing this, but here's what I want from you. I want you to do it more. I want you to be more pure. I want you to be purer than you were before. This is what it means to live life as a Christian. Listen to 1 Peter 4.2. So as that we as believers ought to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. These things are opposed to each other. That is, God's will, what He wants for you, is opposed to the lusts of men. These activities that take place outside of the marriage relationship. So the first way that we are morally pure, according to Paul, is that we abstain from sexual immorality. Put very bluntly, straightforwardly. We don't have to get, okay, what is he talking about here? Maybe this thing's, maybe he's allowing for this exception. No. Okay, abstain from sexual immorality. Number two, second responsibility we have with regard to moral purity is to abstain from lust. Verses four through five. So that you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse three, and here's how God's will for your sanctification. Verse four, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand what the word vessel means. Vessel. Now, vessel in other parts of the Scripture can also refer to a man's wife. And so here's what Paul would be saying if he's talking about that. That you know how to, that you, uh, know how to acquire a wife is the idea. The idea of possessing a vessel could also be to acquire a wife like Paul talks about in I think 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so he he would be saying, you need to learn how to acquire a wife in holiness and honor. In other words, you need to live in sexual purity uh, so that you can attain a wife in holiness. So you don't come to the marriage relationship with impurity. But I don't think that's what he's talking about because what has Paul been talking about so far and what's he going to be talking about? He's not talking about uh, acquiring a wife here. He's talking about Possessing a person's body. That's the vessel idea. That a person knows how to possess their own vessel. That they know how to control their own body in holiness and honor. That is, with regard to morality. And this is really what gets at the heart 
of who we are as people? Are we able to control our own bodies? Well, how do we do that? How, how do we control? If, if God's will is for us not to be sexually immoral and for us to be able to control our own, own bodies in sanctification and honor, then how do we do that? Well, Paul doesn't give us the answer in a positive way. That is, here's how you do it. You, you, um, you know, practice all these sorts of uh, things, obey all these commands. Instead, he gives us a negative. Here's how you don't do it. And he get, does that in verse 5. Notice. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. As I mentioned last week, we can't allow our passions to control us. We can't allow we, we can't follow our hearts because our hearts often steer us wrong, don't they? The heart the heart is deceitfully wicked. And uh and so we can't follow our passions. You know, I, I have so much passion for this person, though. And God says, no. That's what the Gentiles do. Not, he's not talking about non-Jews here. What's He talking about? He's talking about unbelievers. This is how unbelievers, pagans, live. And what are they like? They don't even know God. They don't have a relationship with God. The, the word for passions here in uh, verse 5 not in lustful passion, is the same word used in Mark chapter 4, verse 19. If you remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is giving the parable of the soils. And He's saying the seed is spread on the different kinds of soils. One of those soils is one that's, that, that's surrounded by thorns. And when Jesus tells them what it's like to, to have a, a, something sprout up and then be choked out by the thorns, it's like a person who hears the Word receives it with joy. Hey, I love it! But then gets choked out by the passions of this world. You see what he's saying? You see, what, see how this connects with what Paul's saying? What, what is Jesus saying with regard to that kind of soil? That person was never a believer. Their roots never got down to the Holy Spirit, the pure water of the Holy Spirit that they need to have life and fruit. Right? And so they weren't True believers, they only showed expressions of life, not, not actual life. They showed signs of life at the beginning, but then they were choked out by the cares of this world, by the passions. That's what, unbeliever, that's what happens to unbelievers. They follow their passions to their own destruction. But not believers. That's why Paul says, not like that. Not like that those thorns that come up and choke people, that's not how believers live. That's how pagans live. This is the way that we formerly were. We lived according to our own passions before we came to Christ. We rejected God at every turn. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Or you formerly followed the course of this world. Titus 3.3 talks about the same idea. And so Paul here is talking about not just any kind of passions, foolish passions, but lustful passions. And so in order for us to live in moral purity, we must abstain from lust, from sexual lust. Our, our lustful passions come from our wrong desires. 
We desire to have something that God has explicitly told us you cannot have it. Don't buy into the lie that says, you know, you can't change your desires. You can't help who you love. You can't help what kind of passions you have. Because as a Christian, that's exactly what God is doing to you. He is changing who you are. He is changing your passions. If He wasn't changing your passions, you'd still be dead in your sin, wouldn't you? Will you be complicit with Him in this regard? Will you abstain from love? This is God's will for you. Can't come any clearer. Some of you men and women are perhaps frustrated with your spouse. And you've entertained the thought that if only you had someone else who understood you better or who cared for your needs better, then you actually could serve God better. And if you follow those passions through, to abandon the spouse of your youth and to go after someone else to whom God has said no, then you are doing it in clear defiance against God. But I'm here to tell you that God's will is your sanctification, your holiness. And here's this next point you need to listen to very carefully. Carefully, one of the ways that God makes you holy is by allowing you to continue in the difficult relationship that you have right now or that you don't have. One of the ways that God makes you holy is by keeping you where you are. And if you go on beyond the bounds of what He said is right to pursue sexual passions that God said no, then that is clear defiance against God. It is not God's will. Paul makes this point even stronger in verse 5 at the end. This is how the Gentiles, the pagans do, who do not know God. Paul here is not talking about ethnic non-Jews, as I said. He's saying, as a Christian, as a Christian, you must not allow immoral desires to drive you. Because that's what happens to unbelievers. They just allow their desires, their, their immoral desires to, to drive them. And they follow them right into destruction. And the problem with them is, they don't know God. They don't have a saving relationship. They don't have a, a, a life-giving Spirit in them who, who will change them. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Because those who live in an uncontrolled way perpetually with regard to their lusts live as unbelievers. They live like unbelievers. Ephesians 4.17 So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles or the pagans also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you, you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as 
truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Those who live in an uncontrolled way perpetually live like unbelievers. And Paul's saying, you didn't learn Christ in this way. You learned to turn from these things. And so you need to, to actively pursue a renewal of your mind. Look at verse 23 again. And that you be renewed in, your, in the spirit of your, your mind. There is a, an active and a passive sense to that, that you pursue that renewal, and at the same time you recognize that this, it's the spirit that's actually doing the, renew, the renewing. So verses 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians 4, you can turn back there. Paul is saying, use your body as a vessel, as a tool, in order to bring honor to God rather than dishonor. You can bring dishonor to God with your bodies, with your mind. So use your bodies as a proper tool in God's hand. So, Paul gives three ways that we can be sanctified, that we can be holy with regard to our moral purity. Number one, abstain from sexual immorality, verse 3. Number two, abstain from lust, from, from sinful lust, verses 4 and 5. And number three, abstain from adultery, first part of verse 6. And that, same phrase that starts each one, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because, and he gives a reason why. No man abstain uh, no man transgressed and defraud his brother. What's ta- Paul talking about here? What does defrauding a brother have to do with moral purity? Why does he throw that in there? What, what is someone cheating? Uh, someone cheating someone else out of business, uh, a business transaction or something? Why, why throw that in there? Here, Paul is talking, he, he's continuing his conversation about moral purity. He's saying, Don't engage in adultery, which is actually defrauding your brother. And the reason I know that is because of the next phrase. That no man, verse 6, that no man transgress and defraud his brother. What does it say? In the matter. That is, in the matter we've been talking about. That, That he does not defraud his brother in the matter of moral impurity or immorality. Because a person who participates in an activity, sexual intercourse, that is only his brother has been given to do, he actually has defrauded that brother. He has done something against that brother. He is cheating him. He's not only cheating him, but he's cheating her. You see, your sexual sin has consequences for more than just you. You didn't simply bring harm on your own marriage relationship. You didn't simply bring harm on the other person that you committed the act with. You also transgressed the spouse of that person. Or if that person is unmarried and you committed adultery with that person, you robbed the person of the purity that they should have had for their marriage. So you're robbing that future spouse as well. That's a defrauding. That's a transgressing someone else. And so Paul very clearly states that we must be morally pure. That's our responsibility. Believers, 
Live in order to please God. The way that you do that is do God's will. God's will is your sanctification. Your sanctification is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you abstain from lust, and that you abstain from adultery. Now, as Paul often does, he gives us reasons or motivations for our moral purity. Why should we be morally pure? And that's the last part of the passage, verses 6 through 8. The end of verse 6, he says, the Lord is the avenger, or he actually says, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. This is not a sin that you are only committing against another person or another group of people. But this is a sin against the Lord Himself. And the Lord is the avenger of this. So, so, the Lord will judge those who reject this command. The Lord will judge those who reject this command. So that should be our motivation. I'm not going to sin against my body, against someone else's body, against someone else's spouse, against my own spouse, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. That is, the Lord's going to bring retribution on me. This is not talking, I believe, about God's discipline. On a believer, I think this is talking about final punishment because of unbelief. Is it a defiant walking into this sin because I know what God's will is, because Paul told us, I know what God's will is, but I'm going to do it anyway. God says, I'm the avenger of all these things. There's a huge difference between discipline and final judgment. And the difference is how we ended up in the sin. Obviously, the main difference is our standing before Christ. Have we actually trusted in Christ? Well, there's a difference between, you know, in the way that we end up in, in the sin. Suppose I'm driving down the road and I hit a patch of ice and I end up in the ditch. Will I get a ticket for that? Not unless I was being reckless, right? Just an accident. Those types of things happen. What if I'm driving at 95 miles per hour and I end up in the ditch? Could I get a ticket for that? Absolutely. Because I knew what the rule was and I decided to go on through with it anyway. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want you to think that your sin just kind of creeps up on you and it's like a patch of ice and we just kind of, oops, you know, didn't know that was coming. Because James says that we are drawn away and enticed by our own what? Our own lusts. We, we do it because we want to do it. Okay, but, but the difference is, do we know that it's right? Do we know what is right and yet we're defying God anyway? And the, the Old Testament would often talk about high-handed sins versus uh, inadvertent sins. That is, high-handed is in the face of God. God, I know you said to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. Paul says, I've already told you about this. Just as... It, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. I had already told you about this. And so what you need to have at the front of your mind is that the verse from Revelation 21.8, the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers, and listen to this, immoral persons and sorcerers, idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, immorality should not even be named among you as believers. 
Not just the actual act, but the lust as well. They shouldn't even be named among us because we were called to purity. Okay, so you may not be engaging in illicit immorality right now. But there are doubtless a few people in this size congregation that are that are losing the battle of purity in their minds, men and women alike. They're losing the battle of purity. Maybe you're engaging in pornography or entertaining fantasies of sexual freedom outside of marriage. If only I could get someone else who appreciated me. And if you are, you need to hear this next part very loudly and clearly. Okay, so so that you have when you go to when you have those thoughts and when you start to pursue some of those thoughts that this rings out loud and clear in your mind. Verse 6, the Lord is the avenger of all these things. This is not some minimal sin that just kind of gets wiped over. It's a serious sin against the holy God who demands your moral purity. So we have first the motivation of judgment. The Lord will judge those who reject this command. Second, verse 7, is a motivation of purpose. And that is, as believers, we are called to purity. We weren't called to be impure. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, but in holiness, in godliness, in moral purity. This is what God called us to. That is, every person who has been chosen by God has been called to be separate, to be different from the world in a moral way. As my uh, seminary professor, Dr. Compton, says, God's great purpose in saving sinners is to be holy like His Son. This is God's purpose for every one of us, to be holy like His Son. The opposite of holiness in one way, it can be expressed in one way, and that is through sexual impurity. So, believers, live according to the purpose that God has designed you. God has designed for you to be pure, so live that way. You have a motivation of judgment. The Lord is going to judge those who reject this command. We have a motivation of purpose that we are called to purity. And then number three, a motivation of relationship. Verse 8, this command comes from God. A motivation of relationship. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Okay, Before we break this verse down, I want you to see that this is not something that is coming just on a whim from the Apostle Paul. This is coming from God Himself. This is just a kind of a harebrained idea that Paul had that maybe... Eliminate some other problems in the church. Look at verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That is, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. This is the will of God. Verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. Verse 9. He's talking about love. Uh, towards the end of the verse, for you yourselves are taught by God. So, in these statements throughout the passage, Paul makes it very clear that to reject 
Our responsibility for moral purity is to shake our fist in the face of God and say, No! This is a command from God Himself. Leon Morris writes, The person that minimizes the seriousness of sexual sin is in effect treating God as if He he can be disregarded. The person who minimizes the seriousness of sexual sin treats God as if He can be disregarded. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 8. This is not just you rejecting another person, uh, another man, another sinful creature. No, this is rejecting the person of God. This is rejecting God Himself. In fact, the very God who gave you His Holy Spirit. The idea is is, is that He has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance. And that Holy Spirit is used within us to transform us. He is the Holy Spirit because He is holy. In fact, there are multiple references throughout the New Testament that talk about when we sin against our bodies, we sin against God. And that is because our bodies are the temple of the living God. We now have God living within us through the Holy Spirit. And so as He lives in us, He lives in us to make us holy. This is His job. To get you from a place where you were lost in the futility of your mind, following after the sins of this world, and get you to a place where you will be glorified. That's a lifetime process. So, let me give you four applications with regard to our responsibility for moral purity. Four applications. Number one, recognize the serious of sexual sin. Recognize the serious. Don't disregard God's will for your life. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to stumble, do what? Cut it out. Okay, pluck it out. The idea there is not to take that literally, but He's speaking hyperbolically. That is, He's saying, go to the, to the highest extremes of precautions in order to avoid sexual impurity. If, if that's what's causing you to sin, then you need to go to the worst extremes so that you can save the rest of your body. So the rest of your body enters into heaven. Because your ultimate goal, you recognize as a believer, is to be sanctified, to be holy. Recognize the, serious, the seriousness of sexual sin. If we don't see our responsibility to be sanctified, then we don't understand Hebrews 12.13. Without sanctification, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Along with this, we should recognize, this is still point number one, recognize that there's hope. Okay, if you failed in this way to be morally pure as you ought, you know Christ is willing to forgive those who are willing to confess their sins. Christ's blood is powerful enough to cover over every sin. His promise is to forgive those who confess to Him. But you know what 1 John also promises? Not only that He will forgive it, but He will also cleanse us from that unrighteousness. When we confess it, that's the first step. We have to acknowledge that we have wronged You, God. We have defied You in this way. 
We have not been morally pure in our thoughts or in our actions. And so we acknowledge this before you and ask for your forgiveness. And you know, God is a faithful God. He's happy to forgive us when we acknowledge it. Don't wallow in sexual sin. Number two, sanctification requires bodily discipline. Sanctification requires, we could put it even more general, requires discipline. Do you realize that no person in human history has ever stumbled into sanctification? Okay? Just like, you know, no one ever stumbled, stumbled into the elite forces of the military. You know, I wasn't being too careful with my life and somehow I ended up backing into the Navy SEALs. No, what does it require to become a Navy SEAL? You've got you to gotta work. You've got to have motivation. You have to have effort. You've got to put down some blood and sweat and tears. Listen to what um, Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11. Peter says, Abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your souls. Do you realize that that there are lusts within you that are waging war with your soul? And that you're not going to back into purity? You're not just going to, I'll just kind of coast through life and all of a sudden I'm going to become pure. No, we got to get up and fight. Fight these urges. Fight these wrong passions. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I don't run aimlessly. I don't shadow box. You know, I don't just box while beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave. You see what he's talking about? He's talking more generally about sanctification, but he's saying in order to get there from where I was, in order to get there, I have to beat my body into subjection. I have to discipline my body to do what is right because there is a battle going on outside of me and within my heart to turn me away from God. You don't stumble into sanctification. You work for it. Christian, if you've given into the sin of lust, you know what kind of battle Paul is talking about. You recognize that this battle is bigger than you and that you can't handle it on your own. But I want you to understand it's not solely outside of you. It's also within you. It's waging war in your soul. And so you need to stop giving into the sin of lust, the sin of sexual impurity. Start saying yes to God. I will do your will. Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. And we have a promise, or we have hope in the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that greater is He who lives in us than he that lives in the world. And so we will have ultimate victory that is in the next life. We may not lick this completely, right? If we think we've gotten to a place where we no longer are susceptible to the sin of impurity, then take heed lest we fall. But there should be progress in this area. There should be some, some steps that we are taking from where we used to be, where we were saying yes, yes, yes. Now we should be saying no, no, no. Occasionally we're going to say yes, but we need to repent of that and turn from that. Sanctification requires bodily discipline, number three. Keep your eyes to yourself. 
Job said that he made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully on a woman. You know, the battle that, that we are facing is in our hearts, in our minds, and the gateway, one of the gateways to our minds is through our eyes. Now, that's not to say if the, a blind person is never going to have any immoral thoughts. May we understand that. That's why there's other gateways that go to our minds. But one of the main gateways that we have is in our mind. So what can we do to help guard against some of these things that we are looking at? Men, keep your eyes to yourself. That woman is not your wife. And her, not, her body is not for your visual enjoyment. Ladies, stop entertaining the thought that another man would satisfy you more than your husband does or more than being single does. In a lustful way. Keep your passions in check. Make your passions follow your will. That is, you tell your passions what they ought to do. God has told me to do this, and this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what my feelings are. Those of you who are married, enjoy your spouses. Enjoy the relationship that you have with your spouse. Don't look outside of it. That is not God's will for your life. God's will is your sanctification to live in moral purity. Number four, don't give up on your marriage. I've heard of countless couples who have given up on the covenant with one another and with God that they have made because they were, and here's the words that often are put into the divorce papers, we were incompatible. You know, he wasn't meeting my needs. We didn't connect. She and I weren't meant for each other. So if I'm going to pursue godliness, I need to get a divorce. And you know, I've seen many of these spouses who've done this, who professed to be believers, live generally happy lives. And some of them do repent, genuine repent of their sin. But those who don't will understand one day that the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Their pleasures... Hey, sometimes we think the most important thing for me is to be happy. And you know, sometimes the alternative statement is God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And that, that sounds great, doesn't it? No, I would say it this way. God doesn't want you to be happy in things He doesn't want for you. God wants you to be happy in holiness. He recognizes that there's a greater happiness than those wrong passions. And that is in knowing Him and obeying Him. Have you experienced any of that joy in your life? The joy of knowing Christ and knowing that you're doing what is right. Now you have a reward waiting for you. This is the greatest happiness you can have in this lifetime and the next. So don't give up. On your marriage, there is hope. Because you know who restores these types of relationships? It is God. But you know what He asks of you? To take a step in His direction. Start taking steps of purity, of love towards the other person. Don't give up on it. God wants this marriage to work out. God, God's will for you is to remain as you are not to pursue some other relationship outside of your marriage. There is hope 
And there is real change to those who seek God in this. And I know this because God's Word tells this to us. God has called us as believers to to please Him. We have the ability as Christians to please Him. We do this through sanctification, through living a life of holiness. This is God's will for you. And the way that we pursue sanctification in this passage is twofold. One, pursue moral purity. And number two, pursue brotherly love. Let's pray. Father, there are very few sins that are as damaging as the sin of of immorality. And there are very few sins that have grip a grip on the hearts of people more powerfully than the sin of immorality. Perhaps greed, perhaps a lust for power, love for money. But immorality has to be right up there. A desire to pursue our sexual pleasures outside of a marriage relationship that You've given to us. And so I pray for the battles that are going on in our church, in the hearts of the people of our church. I pray that You would work in each of our hearts to, to help us to recognize our responsibility to be morally pure. Our our means of pursuing Your will is to be morally pure. And I pray that You'd help us to understand the reasons why. That You are the judge of those who oppose You. That You have called us to purity. And that this command comes directly from You. For us to reject this command is not to reject man, but to reject You personally. Lord, for those who are losing this battle. Lift them up. Use us as the means to to pull them out of the ditch. Get them back up on the on the road in the race. May your spirit humble us before one another. Seek help if that's necessary. Ultimately to take a step toward you. Pursue godliness without which no one will see You. Lord, I pray that You would assure us through Your Spirit of our standing before You in Christ because of our faith in You, but also convict us of our sin. Show us where we need to change. Help us to take further steps of purity in our lives. I pray for Your grace in each marriage in each home. I pray that we would work together with one another, encourage one another towards godliness. I pray that we would do the same in our church, that the result would be that more and more praise would be given to you because you are a great God, a loving God, the God who wants our greatest joy and happiness to be in the greatest possible thing that there is, knowing you. Help us to find our joy in nothing else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.